Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to This Week Again. I'm your host, Suzanne Posel. We're going to start off this show with the problem books are having in Florida. Move on to the tragic story of the Tennessee Trio. Check in with Marjorie Taylor Greene because she's been having a rough week. And finish all of that up with the latest installment of the true crime docuseries, To Arrest a President. Let's begin, shall we? Florida isn't just the most fascist state in the Union. It's quickly becoming the trendiest travel destination for the illiterate, thanks to the governor and the shortest man to ever shop for suits at the Big and Tall store, Ron, don't tell anyone I can't read, DeSantis. <laughs> After passing a law to ban books that depict anything but a white American fantasy, DeCant Reed has been on a crusade to remove books from classrooms because he and his merry band of nationalists think that they are, quote, pornographic, violent, or inappropriate. Hmm. Now, clearly, this walking, talking hair plug hasn't asked anyone to read the Christian Bible to him because that book is filled with all kinds of incest, sex slavery, raping of women and children, including molestation, and don't get me started on the plethora of graphic violence described in the New Testament. Definitely not something I would think is appropriate to read to little kids on a Sunday afternoon, but I digress. In a hilariously karmic move, 50 Democrats in the Florida State House have recommended that Deshitstein's new published memoir should be up for review because this book violates the book banning law that the governor just passed in 17 different ways. Hmm. Roll tape. The next book that could be on the chopping blocks, The Courage to be Free, Florida's Blueprint for America's Revival. Florida Democrats have complained to 50 counties in the state of Florida about the book's potentially divisive concepts. DeSantis uses the word woke 46 times. He sprinkles in the phrase gender ideology 10 times. He also describes systemic racism and summarizes the 1619 Project. <laughs> oh, Karma, she's a hell of a girl, ain't she? I cannot wait to see how all of this plays out. But in the meantime, there is one more thing that this tiny dictator has done recently that just blows my mind. No pun intended, of course. Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida has signed a new law allowing for permitless concealed carry of guns in the state of Florida. Behind the doors of DeSantis' office, permitless carry getting signed with Republican leaders, even NRA officials present. But the bill that he signed there with the NRA behind closed doors will now make it legal in Florida for anybody to carry a concealed loaded weapon with no permit, no training, no background check, no license. Republicans champion the measure to remove what they called a government permission slip to the Second Amendment. So in case you're wondering why this was done behind closed doors, it's because the Covenant School shooting in Nashville had just happened a week prior to the pre-scheduled signing party. And DeShill had the wherewithal to know the optics were bad. So he did it anyway, just in a room where no one could see what he was doing. Of course, gun enthusiasts are always so full of themselves 
So there is a picture of the signing that happened to be posted on Florida.gov's website just after the fact. Because fascists live by this motto, it is easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. And that, my friends, is a story of how everyone found out one way or another about Damascus shootings making Florida unsafe for travelers and vacationers, which should avoid the state completely for safety reasons. And that's not me saying that. The NAACP recently issued a travel warning for black Americans to avoid Florida like the white supremacist plague that it is, thanks to their very own elected for a second term Governor Joffrey. Now, I know that this warning is specifically for black Americans, but I would like to see the travel and vacation ban extended to anyone who doesn't want to see their money go to supporting a fascist state, and that includes the tourist-dependent business owners who voted for that man twice. So now that we all understand how dangerous stupid can sometimes be, let's move on to one of the biggest stories you might not have heard about. And why am I using this Meryl Streep-level drama to hook you into the next story, you might ask? Well, that is a valid question, but one I am going to conveniently ignore because, number one, I don't take questions from a live studio audience, and number two, I don't read minds. And now that we've cleared that up, on to the biggest story everyone might not have heard about, but you probably have. Let me begin with some exposition. At 10.13 a.m. Monday, April 3rd, Tens of thousands of grade school students walked out of their classrooms in Tennessee in protest of not wanting to be shot at at school. Some of those marching went to the Tennessee Capitol to demand gun reform legislation in the wake of the Covenant school shooting. And I don't want to hear about, well, the teachers, if they were armed, none of this would have happened. Because guess what? Covenant was one of those Every day is teacher bring your gun to work day sort of schools. And still this shooter was able to pop off 152 rounds in 14 minutes. So there. So anyway, these kids are marching. The protest leads to the Tennessee Capitol where thousands of 10 to 17 year olds entered with signs and were screaming for gun reform. This is Gen Alpha showing the grown-ups who's boss. This act of democracy coming from children was so impressive that three Democrat legislators showed their support for the children not wanting to be shot during math class by joining their protest once it came to their place of work. Now this made the Tennessee representatives on the other side of the aisle very upset. Not only did steam shoot out of their ears, but they also decided they wanted to punish their political opponents with whatever power they possess, starting with Texas Republican House Speaker Cameron Sexton. Well, on a conservative national radio show, Sexton referred to yesterday's rally as an insurrection and compared it to the U.S. Capitol storming after Donald Trump's election loss. Sexton said, quote, what they did today was at least equivalent, maybe worse. Leaders of the Republican majority in the state house stripped.
three Democratic lawmakers from their respective committee and subcommittees. Lawmakers used a megaphone to demand tighter gun restrictions and assumed the mic, breaking decorum rules. Leading Republican lawmakers filed resolutions to expel three Democrats. Representative Gloria Johnson of Knoxville is among those three. Ladies and gentlemen, what you just heard is the real-life equivalent of the government punishing their opponents for political purposes. We hear Republicans go on and on about being persecuted by the government. So what the fuck are the Republicans doing in Tennessee expelling three Democrats who stood next to children who were just demanding that their six hours, five days a week spent at school aren't interrupted by a mass shooter who is just exercising their Second Amendment right to own an assault rifle all over their classroom. Oh, but it doesn't end there, folks, because Tennessee Republicans went ahead and expelled two of the three who joined the children in their protest against assault rifles. You heard me correctly. Justin Pearson from District 86 and Justin Jones from District 52 are two black men representing diverse areas of Tennessee. Well, I mean, they used to represent just under 140,000 people combined, but now they don't because they were just expelled from their seats. Now, you might be wondering who the third member of the Tennessee trio is and why they didn't get expelled with the other two black men. And to answer that, I present you with this. After just narrowly surviving her expulsion vote uh, by, we understand, one vote. We believe that Gloria made it by one vote. What we understand is it takes two-thirds. We have a 99-member House. It takes 66 votes to expel. We are losing our democracy. We need to make sure that we stomp out this march to fascism. Absolute power corrupts absolutely, and we cannot forget that. That's right, folks. Gloria is one of two women in the Tennessee State House. So this is just another unsatisfying racial moment. The white woman gets to stay because of one vote, but the vote to expel Justin Jones was 72 to 25. And the vote to expel Justin Pearson was 69 to 26. And for reference, Gloria Johnson's count was 65 to 30 because... Racism. Don't believe me? Well, you probably shouldn't. I'm going to let expelled Tennessee rep from District 52, Justin Jones, explain why he thinks his former Republican colleagues went ahead with this very anti-democratic stunt. They're saying, you should feel grateful to be here. But they didn't put me here. The people of my district put me here. And that's what they were trying to undo. And from the time I walked in in January, this, I was made to feel like it's, I'm, I should not be welcome here because I led protests here. I was arrested in this building over 14 times trying to remove a KKK statue that we finally removed from this rotunda where we're standing. And so my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, um, from the day I walked in, did not want me here. Yeah, like I said, racism. But just so that we're all on the same page, let me repeat back to you what just happened, because when you hear it, you'll hear it. A predominantly white and Republican legislative body had absolutely no problem with expelling two black men who were duly elected from predominantly black and brown districts to represent them in the Tennessee state government house. But when it was time for the white woman to get her head on that chopping block, hmm, now we got to think about this because Gloria Johnson is 
one of two women, only women, two women in the state house in Tennessee. And let's not forget Gloria Johnson's 13 district. Well, they are 72 percent white. (laughs) That's where it is. It's right there. That's the racism I'm talking about. This is a blatant white supremacy style silencing of an estimated 140,000 black and brown Tennesseans and an obvious example of white supremacy, which, by the way, folks, is antithetical to democracy. Oh, and as newly expelled Justin Pearson so eloquently put it. We are losing our democracy. This is not normal. This is not okay. We broke a house rule because we're fighting for kids who are dying from gun violence. This is not democracy. This is not what it is supposed to look like. And everybody needs to be very afraid and very worried that there are people in positions of power who are using and wielding that power to expel people who are duly elected to their seat. No one should be wanting to operate as though this is not happening, as though we are not living in a gun violence epidemic in the state of Tennessee. And the solutions that are being offered is actually to reduce the First Amendment rights of people who speak up on behalf of their constituencies. Because there has been no House members who have ever been expelled for exercising the First Amendment rights in a peaceful protest. This is a first in American history. And we are losing our democracy to white supremacy. We are losing our democracy to patriarchy. We are losing our democracy to people who want to keep a status quo that is damning to the rest of us and damning to our children and unborn people. It is no coincidence that the two youngest black lawmakers in the state of Tennessee and one or two women are on trial today. Yeah, like I said, like Justin just said, what drove Tennessee Republicans to expel Pearson and Jones is straight up racism. The white Republicans saw an opportunity with these protests and then the Democrats supporting them and they took it. Justin's right. We should all be afraid, very afraid. Because the State House Republicans who voted to remove the Tennessee trio knew that their breaking of decorum rules came with a penalty of censure, not expulsion. They just wanted to set precedent. Be very afraid. And now for something completely different. When I was growing up, all the way back in the late 1900s, there were few shows on television that we watched as a family religiously. One of them was 60 Minutes. Now, over the years, this program has interviewed all sorts of characters from tobacco whistleblowers to Adam Sandler. But this past Sunday, veteran interviewer Leslie Stahl sat down with the biggest clown that they have ever had on their program. QAnon VIP and most prehistoric representative in the house currently Motormouth Traspin Grizzle from Georgia. There were so many things wrong with this interview, and to be honest, it almost made my ears bleed. So I'm just going to play you the highlights. I think our government, they don't really deserve to be respected that much. I don't think we have a revenue problem in Washington. We have a spending problem. 
COVID bailout money, and a lot of green energy spending. Why don't you blame Donald Trump? Well, the president doesn't control everything. Did you apologize for your position on Parkland, Florida? What was oh. my position on Parkland, Florida? That it was a false flag? I don't flag. know if you actually have my position. No, I never said Parkland was a false Did flag. Did you? We fact-checked. Have you fact-checked all my statements from kindergarten through 12th grade and in college and as I've paid my taxes and never broken a law? And the only, I got a few speeding tickets. Do we need to talk about those too? Oh, the claws came out when this KK Congresswoman got fact-checked. Sounds to me like she's got overbearing personality disorder. But then again, I'm not a psychiatrist. And she is newly divorced. Not that I know what goes on between a man and his Neanderthal, but it really isn't my business to begin with. What is my business is the paleolithic nonsense that comes out of this tanned hide excuse for an elected official. For example. The Democrats are a party of pedophiles. I would definitely say so. They support grooming children. They are not pedophiles. Why would you say that? Democrats, Democrats support, even Joe Biden, the president himself, supports children being sexualized and having transgender surgeries. Sexualizing children is what pedophiles do to children. Okay, that, that right there is where this bigot thinks that she's making some grandiose point saying that recognizing a child's gender identity is the same as pedophilia. When all she's actually doing is showing her ignorant hatred toward anyone who isn't heterosexual like her. Now I can understand how she might be confused considering that Christians are behind so much of the sexualization of children. Less than two weeks ago, a youth pastor was arrested in Oregon for child molestation he committed from 2005 to 2008 while he was at New Beginnings Community Church out of California. Last month, the minister for Churches for Christ in Kansas, Texas, Tennessee, and Indiana was sentenced to 45 years on eight convictions of child pornography and child sex trafficking because he was trying to have sex with a minor and crossing state lines. And last month, the youth pastor for the First Baptist Church in Bentonville, Arkansas, was sentenced to 60 years for 13 counts of sexual abuse and child pornography featuring six different boys. In 2022, there were 10 youth pastors and preachers convicted of child sexual abuse in the state of Texas, just Texas alone. So it sounds to me like pedophilia isn't a bug of Christianity, it's a feature. Now this might come as a shock to some of you, but transgender youth and adults, as well as the Libidiqua community at large, aren't sexualizing or otherwise abusing children the same way that Christians are. Which is why this comment from Mad Margarine is extra cringe. Do you want to bring the country closer to your views? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, here are some of the things you've said that America should have a Christian government, abortion should be banned nationally, that you want to defund the FBI, you want immigration to stop for four years. Oh yeah, these are, these are some of my views. The Constitution, the very First Amendment, prohibits religion in the government. Yet the Founding Fathers quoted the Bible constantly and were driven by their faith. 
Oh, here's where you can be sure that this woman either can't read or refuses to do so. Because although she's correct that the Founding Fathers did quote the Christian Bible quite a bit, they just didn't do it in the way she thinks they did. Roll tape. Ben Franklin, he said, I have found Christian dogma unintelligible. Thomas Jefferson, he says, when the clergy addressed General Washington on his departure from the government, it was observed in their consultation that he had never said a word to the public which showed a belief in the Christian religion. John Adams, as the government of the United States is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion, Thomas Jefferson wrote, the alliance between church and state in England has ever made their judges accomplices in the frauds of the clergy. Our judges, too, have lent a hand to further these frauds and have been willing to lay the yoke off of their own opinions on the necks of others to extend the coercions of municipal law to the dogmas of their religion by declaring that these make a part of the law of the land. Yeah, so our founding fathers did write about the Bible, quoted Christian rhetoric, but they did so to express that they despised the religion, abhorred its entrenchment on politics and rulers going back centuries. Like the poorly educated 11th century when the Catholic Church realized their own personal armies, which they sent on campaigns to murder people into conversion, which of course they call crusades, could be rented out to warring kings. And they did. So by the time America's would-be founders were having a pitch meeting on starting a new country, they were well aware of the fact that Christianity wasn't just for peasants. This religion nefariously hid in the shadows, making money from both sides of every conflict while holding incredible sway on matters of court, including influencing people with their religion while keeping the rulers under control with massive amounts of debt. Hence why our founders made sure that the very first amendment to our Constitution was an explicit abhorrence and separation of religion and government. And spoiler alert, they agreed keeping religion, especially Christianity, as far away from government as possible was actually the only way a democratic republic could survive, which is why they wrote, quote, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting its free exercise. Because America's founding fathers did not want their new country to be infiltrated and taken over by Christianity. Marjorie! And that is because the United States of America is not and never was intended to be a Christian nation. And while we're discussing the bullshit that is Christianity, the Jesus freak from Georgia decided to make a trip out to Manhattan so she could meet and greet with New Yorkers outside the courthouse while her future 2024 presidential running mate was pleading not guilty for criming 34 crimes we all know that he crimed. During her brief time with a bullhorn, this alleged January 6th pipe bomber was called some of the funniest and cringiest names by the always quick with a quip New Yorkers who understand the basic concept that committing a crime comes with consequences until clan mom with a bullhorn started to run away. She fleed to her car with her vestigial tail between her legs, but once safely inside her SUV, Box color blonde Barbie rediscovered her impotent rage and found a reporter from a maggot favorite right side broadcasting network to film her 
saying all sorts of stupid things. This is a witch hunt, but this is a political witch hunt. Everybody knows it. Everyone sees it for what it is. And the Democrats are destroying themselves in this process, perverting our justice system. President Trump is joining some of the most incredible people in history being arrested today. Um, Nelson Mandela was arrested, served time in prison. Jesus, Jesus was arrested and murdered by uh, the Roman government. There have been many people throughout history that have been arrested and persecuted. Oh yeah, that comparison of Trump to Nelson Mandela, <laughs> that made a lot of people upset. But the comparison to Jesus, hey, I gotta say look, both of these guys are white, which is an incredible feat, considering Jesus was like the only white kid born to brown parents in all of Nazareth. And don't forget, Christianity is a cult that requires their followers to throw all logic out with the bathwater and needs their followers to accept whatever crap that they're willing to say. Kind of like how the former cheeseburger in chief does. So I guess now would be a good time to talk about the hamster for hair wearing and confirmed by the NYPD to be a 270 pound criminal who made an unnecessary guest appearance in a New York courtroom because apparently he was given the option to sit on his couch in Florida and pile drive a pizza while getting arraigned on a Zoom call. A where were you when moment. A former president faced a judge in a criminal courtroom on charges he broke the law, and it happened right here in New York City. Former President Trump pleads not guilty to 34 counts of falsifying business records related to hush money payments. The indictment is 34 felony counts of falsifying business records. Uh, we don't know if that is all of them. He says heading to lower Manhattan, the courthouse seems so surreal in all caps. Wow, they are going to arrest me. The former president writes, can't believe this is happening in America, MAGA. Well, everyone, they finally did it. While Al Capone was ultimately charged on 22 felony counts of tax evasion, it took 34 of them to catch old drinks with two hands and tiny cuffs, which says something disturbing about the question of whether or not anyone is above the law, which appears to be yes. As long as you keep your corporate felonies to 33 in total, because if you commit just one more, that DA is going to get you. And everyone seems to have their own opinion about this indictment. The media is filled with commentators showing their assholes because everyone's got one. But now that the indictment has been unsealed, I think the best person to explain everything is Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg. 34 felony counts of falsifying business records in the first degree. 34 false statements made to cover up other crimes. The defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. The defendant claimed that he was paying Michael Cohen for legal services performed in 2017. This simply was not true. And it was a false statement that the defendant made in 2017. For nine straight months, and he personally signed checks for payments to Michael Cohen for each of these nine months. In order to complete the scheme, they plan to mischaracterize the repayments to Mr. Cohen as income to the New York State tax authorities. The evidence will show that he did so to cover up crimes relating to the 2016 election. Thank you so much, Alvin. And now I would like to give all of you the deets on the evil plans Cheeto J. Puff came up with to interfere in the 2016 election. 
The Floridian Fondler got together with a man aptly named David Pecker, who was head of the National Enquirer in 2015. And his discount goodfellow Michael Cohen came up with the harebrained scheme of catching any negative story on the not-yet-presidente and preventing it from going viral or seeing print. This is why the Playboy model Karen McDougal, who had an affair with Mushroom Dick and got $150,000 for keeping her mouth shut, that's someone we didn't hear about until Stormy Daniels decided to come forward. There's also a $30,000 paid to a Trump Tower doorman for keeping Lumpy Don's hush child a secret. And in case you're wondering, that definitely not Melania's kid calls a former Trump Tower employee mommy. Hence the need for $30,000 in hush money to a doorman. Oh, and I do want to add that when Michael Cohen sent $130,000 of hush money to Stormy Daniels, that amount exceeded federal campaign contribution caps, which is illegal. So to summarize... The marginally sentient spray tan committed his first crimes when he and two other stooges created a catch-and-kill scheme to make sure no negative stories came out while he was running for president. The second crimes were committed when he later paid hush money through Michael Cohen to a Playboy model, a porn star, and a doorman at Trump Tower, totaling $310,000 so their stories would never see any newspaper front page. And a grand jury agreed with Alvin Bragg that there is enough evidence to show a judge the flaccid bronzer pulled a Russian nesting doll approach to his crimes by committing 34 felonies. So with 60% of Americans polled by CNN saying that they approve of the indictment, and at the same time, the Manhattan judge Juan Manuel Mershon was admonishing Trump for his use of social media to attack his perceived enemies and promising that there would be consequences if he continued this behavior. Cocaine Bear himself, Don Jr., and his sidekick, Eric, along with their favorite Neanderthal from Georgia, decided at that very moment would be the perfect time to do the thing the judge had literally told their father not to do. And to Trump, uh, the judge, he did warn former, former President Trump not to make any statements that would incite any violence or threats against any officials. And as Judge Juan Mershon, like at the exact moment, was admonishing Donald Trump about his posts threatening people, Donald Trump Jr., he posts a photograph of Judge Juan Mershon's daughter and says, seems relevant, yet another connection in this hand-picked Democrat show trial. The BS never ends, folks. Uh, daughter of judge on Trump case worked on Biden-Harris campaign, and it is a photo of the judge's uh, daughter. And Marjorie Taylor Greene says, you can't even make up how corrupt this witch hunt is. And it is a post of Judge Juan Mershon and Judge Juan Mershon's daughter. The Trump family is a group of absolutely abhorrent and deplorable people. They know that their base is crazy, stupid, and armed and will hunt this poor woman down. And they hope that even the threat of it would be just enough to scare the judge into perhaps maybe, I don't know, dismissing the case. 
But it seems to have had the opposite effect. Alvin Bragg's team was quick to point out the obvious, and now the judge is considering recanting his previous decision not to impose a gag order on Old Yeller. Too bad that wouldn't extend to his children or the 31,000-year-old House representative from Georgia, but perhaps there are consequences chasing them right now that we just don't know about. I'll keep my fingers crossed and thoughts and prayers. That's all I have to say about that. New episodes of This Week Again air every Sunday. You can follow the show all over social media where you can find us. This Week Again can be listened to on Audible, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Spotify Music, uh, Google, Samsung Podcasts, and basically anywhere else that you listen. And thank you so much for doing so. To do for now.